Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is from the Sword of the Spirit Bible Conference. This is the evening service of Friday the 20th of February 2015, entitled Giving Christ the Preeminence. And the Bible reading is taken from Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 to 20. Here's Pastor Matt Green. But yeah, let's look in Colossians chapter 1 and verse number uh, 9 is where we'll start. And we'll... Um, just read down to verse number 20. Hope you don't mind reading a few verses, because uh, that's typically what preachers do before they preach. So. Chapter 1, verse number 9 of Colossians. And, and Paul here, he's basically, he's basically telling uh, these Colossians, Colossian believers how he prays for them. And uh, he's really commending them and telling them what he wants them to do. But in verse number 9 it says, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of His will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to His glorious power unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. I really wanted to focus in on that last phrase of verse number 18, that in all things he might, give, he might have the preeminence. And I just want to make this the title of the lesson, Giving Christ the Preeminence. I have to say, just by way of introduction, there's no greater thing in all of this world that you could strive to do than to give Christ uh, the preeminence. Now, um, in order to answer the question about giving Christ the preeminence, really to understand it, we have to ask ourselves four questions. But before we do, let's talk about the word preeminence in case you are unfamiliar with this word. It means superior to all others, standing above and out from all others. So we're talking about making something far greater than anything else in our lives. First question, what does it mean to give Christ the preeminence? What does it even mean? And I hope you'll forgive me. All this is in very plain font and all my graphics are gone because it's supposed to be on Keynote for Apple, you know, but um, this will work. Um, Anyways, what does it mean to give Christ the preeminence? And there are really two main points of instruction given here in verse number 10. And the first is this, give Christ his worth. If you look in verse number 10 again, it says that you might walk worthy of the Lord. Um, now, the word worthy, as you can imagine, it, it means ascribing one's worth, right? I don't think it takes rocket scientists to get that one. Um, but here's, here's something I want you to do. Just for about 30 seconds, and there'll be this really uncomfortable pause, right? I want you to make up the five most important things in your life. Make a list of the five most important things of your life, okay? I will give you 20, maybe 30 seconds, depending on how fast I count. I haven't really been counting, so I don't know, I don't know how long it's been. 
I'm sorry. <laughs> Just waiting for everyone to look up at me again. Um, t- tell me this. Let's, let's do this. When I say number five, I want you just to shout out what your number five was, okay? Fifth most important thing on your list. Friends. Friends are number five? I would hate to be your friend. I really would. Man, who, who needs enemies when you have friends like that? Um, right, number four. Work. Food, right. <laughs> number three, that's very valiant. Number three. Okay, family, right, right. Number two. Life, church, okay. Number one. God. Okay. Uh, let, let me say, had I made out a list originally, if it, by the way, if anyone said anything other than God for number one, um, I'm, a little bit, I'm a little bit concerned. People are pointing at their neighbors and stuff. Um, no, honestly, had I made out this list before I prepared the sermon, in all honesty, I would have put God at number one. But let me just say something with all due respect, I know that everyone said God. God doesn't belong on a list. Jesus doesn't belong on a list. Let's face it, Jesus should be the reason for everything on the list. I shouldn't have a list if Jesus isn't the reason for it. What I mean for that is everything on my list, the most important things in life, should grow out of what Jesus means to me. And if that's not why it's on the list then it doesn't belong there. So think about this for a moment. Um, we, we said fa- uh, friends, number five, which I think that's pretty harsh on our friends. But um, we said friends, number five. Do the type of friends that you surround yourself with reflect what Jesus means to you? Do they bring you down or do you lift them up? You see what I'm saying, right? What was, what was number four? What did we have? Family? Someone said family. That's, and again, Food, she said food, right? Uh, let's, let's skip food because it's going to ruin my illustration. All right? Let's, let's say it's family. If your family and the way that you treat your family doesn't reflect what Christ means to you and what he's done in your life, then obviously you've got your priorities messed up. What I'm trying to say here is that everything that we deem important in life should be a result of what Jesus means to us. Give Christ his worth. Now think about this for a moment, okay? Music. The type of music that we listen to. I'm not talking about stylistically. I'm talking about the type of music and the content of the music that we listen to. What does that say about what Christ means to us? Uh, think for a moment about the telly that you watch. Maybe your favorite show. What is your favorite show? Don't say it out loud because others might not approve of it, right? Um, anyways, think about what your favorite telly show is. How does that reflect on what Jesus means to you. Do you watch those shows because of what Jesus means to you and what your relationship with Jesus Christ is? Would you be comfortable with Jesus Christ sitting in the room watching that with you? Now dress, obviously there's no uniformity of dress. We don't believe there's a certain way that everyone must dress. But if you dress provocatively, then obviously that would be something that would not be pleasing to the Lord. What I'm trying to say is the way that we live our lives exposes how much Jesus means to us. Now we can sing songs like we sang a minute ago, all that you want. And you can say that you love the Lord Jesus with all your heart and talk about the wondrous cross. But until you allow the wondrous cross to make an impact in your lives, you're singing in vain. And God, the one who sees all things, who beholds the evil and the good, He knows your heart. 
He knows where you stand with Him. What am I saying? I'm saying practice what you preach. What we, how much we love the Lord will reflect in our lives, uh, will manifest itself in our lives. Um, you know, if everything on the list isn't because of what Jesus means to you, then take it off. Just take it off, honestly. If you can't find some way that the things on your list, you say maybe it's work. Well, what are you doing with the money that you obtain through work? Are, is, does it contribute to the, to the local church, to missions or anything like that? Listen, why is it on your list? Why is it important? Education. Listen, if the education that you get does not contribute in some way to God's great plan in this world, then why is that a priority in your life? Give Christ His worth. How much does Christ mean to you? Here's something to think about. Preeminence, we talked about that big word. Superior to all others, standing above and out from all others. Preeminence is not Jesus first. It's Jesus only. See, we make up a list and we think as long as God is at the top of the list, no, 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 there should be no list if it's not all about God. Preeminence is not Jesus first. Preeminence is Jesus only. And by the way, let me just say, there's a difference between prominence and preeminence. See, a lot of people think just because God is prominent in my life, because I have Jesus as a possession, you know, the Bible says Christ in you, the hope of glory. So when we become saved, He comes to live inside of us. And a lot of people think that just because Jesus has prominence in our life, that we are upstanding people. That we are like super Christians just because we've asked Jesus to come into our heart and save us. But the truth is, that's not preeminence, that's prominence. Preeminence is going far beyond that and saying, what happened on that day has changed my life and I'm not looking back. Give Christ His worth. The second way uh, that we can give Christ the preeminence, or I should say, uh, what does it mean to give Christ preeminence would be this. Live for the audience of one. Live for the audience of one. Again, there is a difference, as we said, between prominence and preeminence. Notice what it says in verse number 10. It says that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. Unto all pleasing. What's that saying? It's saying live for the audience of one. You know, sometimes we are just too concerned with what others think, don't we? We, we, we just are. That's just, that's just the way we are. It's the way we're made up. We don't hand out a gospel tract or whatever because we're afraid of what others who see us handing out that gospel tract is going to think. Let's just face it, right? And we don't talk about the Lord in public very much because we're afraid that someone's going to overhear and think, ah, what a fanatic, right? That's what we think. And if we would just stop caring about what other people think, I think it would fix our relationship with the Lord. Rather than thinking about what Jesus thinks or what Jesus would do, we allow what others think to dictate what we do. And that's not Christ having the preeminence. That's others having the preeminence, you see? That's allowing others to control you. And any time that something controls you, it's wrong. If you let alcohol or anything else control you, then it's wrong. It's, it's not being sober-minded. When you let someone else control you, Christ most certainly does not have the preeminence. But if we allow Jesus and His Word to make the difference for us, then and only then, May Christ have the preeminence in our lives. We must keep Jesus ever before our eyes. Won't you flip with me quickly? Uh, hold your place in Colossians. I don't mean like flip, do flips in the pews. Um, 
But Luke chapter 24, please. Holding your place in Colossians, because we are coming back. Luke 24. And look at verse number 26. Now keep in mind, Jesus has just drawn one of the largest crowds up to that point that he had drawn. Uh, he, there are more hearers to hear what Jesus was going to say at this point. Uh, at this point in his ministry. More than, more, than, more than any at this point in his ministry. And think about it for a moment. The modern day preacher, what do you think they would say? Um, you know, come to God. God is love. Um, um, it doesn't matter. You know, all this stuff. Uh, something really fluffy. Something really nice. But what did, what did Jesus say? What did he say? Verse number 26. If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Now, if Jesus were on some type of television program at that point, I'm sure they would have pulled the plug on the television at that point. Why? Because that wasn't expected. That isn't what you expect Jesus to say. But what was Jesus saying? Was he saying that we need to hate our family? Was he saying that we need to hate our friends? I don't believe so at all. I think what he's saying when compared to our love for anyone else, our love for Christ ought to make our love for them look like hate in comparison. In other words, I love, I love my wife. Her name's Amanda. She's like, has model good looks, you know, so I'm married way up. And I love my wife. She, uh, you know, she does a lot of thoughtful things for me. I love my kids. My kids, when you, when you have kids and they begin to grow up and, and, and their personalities really shine forward. It's like, wow, yeah, this is, this is amazing. And you love your family. And sometimes we have friends around us, and the Bible says there are friends that stick closer than even a brother. And when we have friends around us, we begin to love those friends. But the truth is, our love for Christ ought to make that type of love look like hate in comparison. We ought to have such a fervent, such a strong, such a passionate love for Christ that everything else just looks like hate. Again, look in Romans chapter 12 and verse number 2. Romans 12 and verse number 2. It's a familiar verse to some of us, but I think sometimes we misunderstand the context of this passage. It says in Romans 12 and verse number 2, at the very beginning of the verse, it says, And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Think about this for a moment. It says, Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, this does not mean that there's a uniform way to talk, act, or dress. That's not what this verse is saying. What this is saying is, uh, it's, see, it's about the mind. I mean, all the way back up in the very first uh, verse, in the second verse, it's, it says, by the renewing of your mind. So we're talking about the mind. We're not as much talking about outward as we are inward. We're talking about up here. Be be not conformed to this world. What, what is it saying? What is this verse saying? It means that we should not allow what others think to dictate the way that we act, talk, or dress. Don't let anyone else dictate what you do other than Christ Himself. Live for the audience of one. We should, we should only dress the way that we dress because we like it and we think it honors God. You see, we should not do it to, so, for others' approval. Only for Christ's approval. Live for the audience of one. Um, I would go on to my next point now, I think. We'll see how this goes. Yes. How do I give Christ the preeminence? How? So we, we, we talked about what it means to give Christ preeminence, but how do I do it? Have you ever felt like you just couldn't do right? Let's be honest. Yeah. 
I feel like that a lot too, just to be honest with you. Um, I say take heart. Take heart. Because you find just about every author of the Bible struggling with the same thing. Let's just hold our place again here in Colossians. Oh, actually, you're still holding your place in Colossians, aren't you? Um, But look in Psalm 119. Psalm 119 and verse number 33. We're just going to look at the first of three verses here, and we're going to see a pattern. I want you to notice... For, uh, I want you to notice repetitions, okay? If you see something repeating, then I want you to make a mental note of it, okay? Because, you see, in Bible times, God often would place an emphasis through repetition because that was actually the Jewish thing to do because uh, he was speaking to a Jewish mind. Notice, notice the repetition in this passage, beginning in verse number 33 of Psalm 119. He says, "'Teach me, O Lord, the way of thy statutes.'" Look at verse number 34. Give me understanding. Verse number 35. Make me to go in the path of thy commandments. Did anyone notice something kind of repeating or a pattern? Yeah. Well, he's, 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 he has specific things about what he wants God to do for him, doesn't he? Absolutely. He, he, says, he says, teach me. He says, give me. And he says, make me. Now, what is the psalmist saying here? The psalmist is saying this, teach me, I know nothing. Give me, I have nothing. Make me, I am nothing. Teach me, I know nothing. Give me, I have nothing. Make me, I am nothing. You ever feel like that? Just absolutely and utterly dependent on God, and if God doesn't work for you, then you're just going to end back up in the same mess that you were in before. There's a good verse in Colossians uh, chapter 1, back where we're at, where it begins to tell us about giving Christ the preeminence and how we can do it. I just want you to turn back to chapter 1 again and look in verse number 9. It says, For this cause also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of His will. So how do I give Christ the preeminence? First, the knowledge of God says to be filled with the knowledge of his wit of his will. And you know what? We need God's knowledge. And uh, you know what knowledge is? Knowledge means basically recognition. In other words, it has has to do with having a head knowledge. Like for example, I read in the Bible where it says, Thou shalt not bear false witness. So I know that the Bible says thou shalt not bear false witness. You know, I might even commit it to memory. You're putting it in here. Okay, that's knowledge. Knowledge goes in here. And knowledge is simply knowing, thou shalt not bear false witness. That will mean something here in a minute. I'm going to use that repeatedly. Um, but then it goes on to say, not only the knowledge of God, number two, the wisdom of God. It takes the wisdom of God. We need His wisdom. It says, in all wisdom, there in that verse. And wisdom, this refers to a higher level of knowledge. And what I mean by that is it's like the next step. And basically what it is realizing, how to put knowledge into action. So it's one thing to know thou shalt not witness. Or, or, I'm sorry, thou shalt not witness. <laughs> thou shalt not bear false witness. Can, can you just strike that out of my sermon? <laughs> thou shalt not witness, says the pastor. No, thou shalt not bear false witness. Don't lie. See, it's one thing to know, don't lie. But it's another thing altogether 
to actually not lie. Putting that knowledge into action, that's wisdom. I mean, everyone knows we're not supposed to lie, right? But a wise man keeps from lying. And that, that's, that's what wisdom is. It is knowledge in action. Now think about this for a moment. Knowledge takes place up here. This is knowledge, okay? It goes in here. And all we have to do is really move 30 centimeters down to our heart, and then it's wisdom. Knowledge is here. Wisdom is here. Here's a question. Why is 30 centimeters too far for most Christians to travel? Why is that? You know, I, I, tra I traveled from Stoke, and uh, I was worried it was going to take me a couple of hours to get here, but surprisingly I got here in about an hour and 20 minutes, which even that is, you know, a travesty that it takes me that long to get here. Um, and that seemed like a decent journey. You know, last week I went down to Devon with, the, uh, with our youth group to a, to, a, to a conference, youth conference, and it was supposed to take three hours and 45 minutes to get down there, and it took six and a half hours. And three days later, we were supposed to leave, and again, it tells us three hours and 45 minutes, and by the time that we got to that wonderful place called Birmingham, uh, we got held up and it took us another six and a half hours. Okay? Um, so I know something about long journeys. When I was in America, I don't know, I don't know what we were thinking really. Uh, my, my second son had just been born. And he, honestly, he was only like a month old, like not very old at all. And we haven't, hadn't really traveled with him. And we thought it would be a really good idea. I had scheduled some, some meetings, uh, some preaching meetings out in California. And I live in West Virginia. Now if you know anything about American geography. West Virginia is on the far east coast, and California is as far west as you can go. And so we thought, hey, we've got a one-month-old, and we've got a three-year-old. Why not drive 2,000 miles across the continent? I, I, that's one of the worst decisions I've ever made, because it was that trip that we realized our one-month-old absolutely hates traveling. And as long as he is in a car, he will scream. And he will not stop until you pick him up out of his car seat. It was dreadful, absolutely dreadful. But it was a long journey. And then the journey back was almost worse because you're tired. You've been there for so long. And, and I've traveled some long distances. But I've found the most difficult distance for me to travel is 30 centimeters. From my brain to my heart. Not just knowing the Bible says thou shalt not lie, not, thou shalt not bear false witness, but, also, but, but, but going a step farther and being wise and actually not lying. Um, it's just putting knowledge into action. So how do I give Christ the preeminence? The knowledge of God, the wisdom of God. Third, the understanding of God. It says, and spiritual understanding back in Colossians Chapter 1. And spiritual understanding. And understanding is something that goes even to a higher plane of spirituality. And what it is, is basically putting together of information. It is the ability of realizing how to continue doing right. So you see, think about this for a moment. Okay, knowledge is knowing. Okay, just, just knowing. Wisdom is knowing how to put that into action. And understanding is is the ability to continue on in obedience. Now that's what the Bible's talking about in this passage. What do you think the common denominator is in all of these? It's the fact that this has nothing to do with us. Honestly, think about this. I'm, I've, just, I've just told you. Here's how to give Christ the preeminence. 
Here's how you can give Christ the preeminence. Here's how you can make Christ preeminent in your life. And I've told you three things about God, right? The understanding of God, the knowledge of God, the wisdom of God. What am I trying to say? This ability to give Christ the preeminence does not come from us. We don't possess the ability. You know what the Apostle Paul said? He said, in a nutshell, he said, the things that I don't want to do, those are the things I find myself doing. And the things I want to do, I can't seem to do. Do you ever feel like that? You know what it is? It's because we're trying to do it in our own strength. We're trying to find our own ability when God wants us to do the one thing that is required to give Him preeminence. How do we get this ability? Now look in Hebrews chapter 11 with me. Quickly, please. Hebrews 11. I've already gone almost as long as I thought this whole entire sermon would last. So, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 6. But without faith... It is impossible to please Him. He that cometh to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Notice what it says. Without faith, it's what? Impossible. It's impossible to please Him. In other words, it's impossible to give Christ the preeminence without faith. For he that comes to God, he must believe. He must believe. He must have faith. And when it comes to giving Christ the preeminence, we, we, we make a commitment to God, don't we? And it lasts like, okay, think about like New Year's Day, right? We make all these, these New Year's resolutions and we're thinking, I'm going to do this better, I'm going to do this better, and I'm going to do this better. And then like January 3rd, what happens? Right? It all falls apart. We're back where we started. The resolution has become an absolute failure. And this happens time and time again. But you know many times what the reason for that is? We're looking in the wrong direction. We should be looking up, but instead we're concentrating on ourselves. You see, without faith, it is impossible to please Him. And what we really need to do is we must, we must stop trusting in our own ability and trust in Him alone. I'll give you a quick uh, illustration that I heard. Um, Those... It was a grandfather th that I knew, and he had a farm, actually. And, um, and he had a little grandson that would always follow him around and try to help him with the chores. But the truth is, this, this grandson of his only made it take so much longer. Because he would try to help, you know, for example, he would, he would uh, go down to, to the little creek, and he would, he would grab some water, scoop some water into the pail, and he would carry it back up. Well, his grandson wanted to do it, and his grandson was old enough where he could carry it, but it was so heavy that he would spill out like half of it by the time he got back up to where he needed to be. And he says, he said, you know, I would let my grandson help, but really what would make it so much more effective and make it go by so much faster is if he just let go and let me do it. You know, he said, he said a lot of times I'd try to carry it, and he would be trying to carry it, and he would be pulling it that way, and I would be pulling it this way, and it would be sloshing out, and by the time we get up there, it's half full when it could have been full if I would have just carried it by myself. And you know, in all honesty, guys, what we need to do, we just need to let go of the pail. We just need to let God work. We need to stop trusting in ourselves. And we need to put absolutely all of our being upon Christ. That is giving Christ the preeminence. Next question. 
When should I give Christ the preeminence? When should I give Christ the preeminence? Now, this is a pretty obvious point, but we have to go back to our passage in Colossians 1 and verse number 18. It says, He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He might have the preeminence. In all things. What does that mean? It means that, that every moment of every day He should have the preeminence. When I wake up, when I drive, when I eat, when I talk, when I listen, when I work, when I learn... And when I lie down, truth is, we should strive to be obedient to Christ in every area, in every action, and at every moment of every day. That's what we should strive for. That should be our goal. To be obedient to Christ in every area, in every action, and at every moment of every day. You see, preeminence is not, is not enjoying sinning. And having no intention of ever doing it again. That's what preeminence is. It's when we see that, 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 that Christ can change our lives. When Christ can make us a new creature and we look to Him. And we have no intention of ever going back to that lifestyle again. It's a daily repentance, a turning of our hearts to Him. Which brings me to the natural question. Why? Why? I told you, I've, I now have a, a five-year-old and a three-year-old. And one of the most annoying things is when you say, go upstairs and clean your room. What, th- what question do you think is going to follow? Why? Boys, it's time for bed. Why? 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 Because I said so. That's what I want to say. I say because it's bedtime, because you're filthy and you need a bath. But, but we, 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 tend, we tend to ask that question in every situation. Why? We need a good reason, don't we? If you want me to do something, you better give me a good reason. And first off, I think we need to think about whom we are trying to give preeminence to. Who is this person? Well, first, in verse number 16, it tells us that He created the universe. For by Him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether it be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him. And then it says that he claims the universe because it says that they were created for him. And then it says that he controls the universe in verse number 17. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. They are held together by him. So that's whom we're talking about here, okay? We're not talking about just anyone. We're talking about the one who created, claims, and controls the universe. And he's given us an opportunity to have a relationship with him. So I have to be honest with you. I don't know what other why we really need, but in case we needed anything else, uh, let's look to the Scriptures here and see two reasons. The first reason would be this. Because of His mercy. Because of His mercy. Look at verse uh, number 13, what it says. It says, "...who hath delivered us from the power of darkness." Do you remember the darkness of being lost? Can you remember that before you were a Christian? Maybe you're not a Christian. You need to become saved. Because the Bible says now is the accepted time. Behold, today is the day of salvation. And there's no greater time to trust Christ than right now, this very moment, this very day. But if you do know Christ as your Savior, think about the darkness of being lost, sinning and loving it, it, being content with wickedness. I'm not sure if you can remember that. I remember that feeling of sinning and just not feeling bad about it whatsoever. And that darkness... It would have pulled us down to the darkest hell. 
but He has delivered us from the power of darkness. He's delivered us from the power of darkness. And because He's done that, listen, that's every reason on earth to want to give your entire life and your being to Him. Second, because of His grace. Because of His grace. Notice what it says in the end of verse number 13. It says, and has translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son. And has translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son. I can talk louder. Has translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son. So think about this. We said, I should give Christ the preeminence because of His mercy. And I should give Christ the preeminence because of His grace. Think about this for a moment. Mercy. Anyone know what mercy is? Can you give me a definition of mercy? Yeah? God's favor. Well, that's, that's more grace. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. That's what mercy is. It's not getting what you deserve. Now, now let's think about this for a moment because um, I was a sinner. I'm not sure about you, but I was a sinner. Actually, I do know about you. I don't know why I just said that. I know about you. You're just like the rest of us. All right? We're lawbreakers, aren't we? The Bible says don't lie and we lie. The Bible says don't steal and we steal. The Bible says not to commit adultery. And if we've looked at a the person of the opposite sex with lust in our eyes, we committed adultery in our hearts. The Bible says not to murder and we're murders in heart because we hate our neighbor. You see, God tells us not to do things and over and over again, we do it. We're lawbreakers and we stand in, uh, in, in a serious situation. The wrath of God's law looms over us because of our sinning. And Jesus Christ came to take that away. That's what mercy is. It's the withholding of what we rightly deserve. I mean, what, what, what breaker of the law goes unpunished, right? That's mercy to allow us to go unpunished. But it's also grace. And grace is this. And yes, it is God's favor, but it's unmerited favor. In other words, it's getting what you don't deserve. So think about this for a moment. God gave us His mercy. In other words, He didn't give us what we deserved, i.e. separation from Him and hell. But he, if, if he'd have just stopped there, that would have been enough, wouldn't it? That would have been incredible enough, and I would be happy and content with just never going to hell. But that's not where it stopped. He gave us grace. He gave us what we did not deserve. What is that? A relationship with Him. He's united us with the God whom we were separated from. He's given us grace. He lives inside of us. He's given us heaven. So many things He's given us. And this grace is every reason on earth to give our lives to Him. He took the wrath and He gave me favor. He took the curses and He gave me blessings. He took the darkness and gave me light. And He took hell and He gave me heaven. Why should I give Christ the preeminence? Because of His mercy and because of His grace. Let me ask you this. What greater reason do we need? What greater reason do we need than that? Uh, I want to close with this story. And you know, what, you know when a preacher says I'm going to close, they may or may not actually close, right? So I think I'm going to close. Um, tell you a story about the Moravian missionaries. You ever heard about these guys before? Their names were, they, there was actually a huge missionary movement that came out of the story that I'm going to tell you about right now. There were two men about 25 years of age named John Leonard Dober and David Nitschdom. And they were Moravian men who knew that God wanted them to serve 
as missionaries, but they didn't know where. So they started searching. And by the way, they didn't have Google and Bing and all of that back then. It was a very extensive process to research. And after much searching and much praying, finally they learned about an island in the, uh, in the West Indies that is currently called St. Thomas. And they learned about this island, but at the t- it wasn't St. Thomas back then. It was owned by a slave driver. And he had taken a group of slaves from an African tribe who had never heard the gospel before, and he brought them to his island in the West Indies to make them his slaves. And they said, wait a minute, these are unreached people. They've never heard the gospel before in all of their life. And God would have us go and minister to these people. So they sent the man a a letter. And they said, we want to come to your island and we want to preach the gospel to these slaves. What do you say, basically? And he said, no. No one will come to my island, preach the gospel, and live to tell the story. So like, wait, we feel like God has led us to this island to preach to these people. So what are we going to do? So they sent him another letter in desperation, and I believe filled with the Holy Spirit. And they said this, we will sell ourselves to you if you only let us preach the gospel to them in the meantime. Think about that for a moment. To reach the unreached slaves, they said... We're going to become slaves and do what the slaves do and allow you to have dominion over us if only in our downtime you allow us to preach to those slaves. I don't know about you, but I don't don't know if I could do that. They were about to leave for the island. They were at the port and their ship was about to pull out of the dock and their family and friends were gathered around knowing that they'd never see them again because back then you didn't come back from the mission field. And, uh, and, and as the ship is pulling out, someone shouts, Why? Why must you go? And the two young men turned around with upraised hands, said this in unison. And this, listen, this has rocked my world, honestly. This has absolutely shaken me, this statement right here. Here's what they said. May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering." Chew on that for a minute. May the lamb that was slain, that's Jesus Christ, right? Receive the reward of his suffering. What is the reward of his suffering? The salvation of souls and those who live obedient. Question for you. What reward are you willing to give to him? Should the Lord return today should you be taken to heaven to be with Him? What would you have to lay at His feet? Think about your life for a moment. Think about what your passions are. Think about what consumes most of your time. How would it relate to this statement? What reward would you have to give to the Lamb that was slain? Doesn't He deserve anything? You think Jesus deserves a reward from you? Listen, and I'm preaching to you as much as I am. I'm preaching to me as much as I am to you. Start living like it. Start living like it. Someday we're going to stand before, if something doesn't change, someday we're going to stand before the Lord and we're going to be empty handed. He's going to say, Where's my reward? You say, Well, I'm sorry, I was playing FIFA. 
Where's my reward? I'm sorry I was at the cinema watching three flicks in a row or something, you know? Whatever it is we do this day. I was watching Game of Thrones or whatever it is kids are watching. I really don't know. What reward are you going to have? When you stand before the Lamb that was slain and He says, what will you have? What do you have for me? What will you have? I want you to think about that. We need to rearrange our lives, don't we? Something has to give. And it has to start in our hearts. May God bless these thoughts. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you for these uh, young people in this building here tonight, Lord. And we thank you, Lord, that your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. Lord, and you look into our souls, into our consciences. And Lord, you, you, really, you really do discern the thoughts and the intents of our hearts. We thank you for that, that evidence that we are your children, Lord, that you do prick our consciences from time to time, that you do uh, chasten us when we've gone astray. And Lord, you are constantly prompting us to draw closer to you. In light of what Jesus has done for us, God, we, we, we feel so guilty for not giving more. Lord, I just, I just wonder if everyone would just join with me in just giving ourselves to you afresh tonight. Lord, we've, we've done this so many times and said from this day forward, we're going to do better. But God, we pray that you would just help us to let go of the pale, that you would let us just to trust wholly in you. Because Lord, we think that you are worthy of every reward that our lives could produce. So we pray that you would help us. Lord, use us beyond our own abilities. Make us usable. Please, in Jesus' name, amen.